You are listening to the Random Movie Men podcast. Hi, I'm Steve French. And I'm Paul Whitehouse. And this is the Random Movie Men podcast. It is. And uh, this is our fourth podcast. And this month we watched Whisper of the Heart. I say this month, but uh, it's not really a monthly thing. It's just that this time we watched Whisper of the Heart, the 1995 Studio Ghibli film directed by Yoshifumi Kondo. And we're going to do a brief synopsis and then we're going to talk about uh, the movie, just break it down into looking at the different characters, the story. Um, We won't have a spoiler klaxon as such this time as there aren't really any spoilers with this film. And along the way we will talk about uh, a few facts and uh, Steve's going to do a six degree separation because I completely forgot yet again. Uh, but with all that in mind, Steve, synopsis. <laughs> yeah, so the the basic plot line is um, it's centred around a young Japanese girl living in Tokyo called Shizuku. She's sort of early teens, goes to school every day like, you know, like everyone else really. Lives with her mother and father and her sister, and her sister in, a, in an apartment in Tokyo. And um, the kind of, it starts off with her showing her sort of daily routine and her with her friends and what they're doing. Um, but she's a bit of a bookworm. She really enjoys reading and she's always in the library. And she notices that someone keeps checking out books that she goes to check out in the library. And um, the name of the, the person who's doing that is Seiji, I think it is. So, Seiji and um, so she finds this Seiji this this kind of not mystical but uh, you know this, this person who she doesn't know who they are or, or anything like that she's kind of intrigued by this person she presumes they'd have a huge amount in common because of the the books that they like to read and they check out and then one day she is on a um, train around the city and there's a cat on the train and she follows this cat leads them to an antiques shop and then the story then unfolds from there because she suddenly meets this young lad who turns out to be this seiji and uh, and then that that's kind of the the opening of the story that's the the start of it and then the the story starts to develop from there about their relationship how they become friends and then also different about his aspirations in life and then her aspirations in life and how that ties in with her own family and how that ties in with him and his own family and what happens from then on and it's also very much you know really almost cliche come of age kind of thing where it's just you know people discovering what you know young people discovering what they want to do with their lives really so that's the kind of the, the basic setup and I mean, for me, Shizuku, the the main character, the everything centered around her. I thought she was a, a fairly interesting kind of character. I don't know what you thought. Yeah, I mean, first of all, two questions. Okay. Yeah. Firstly, this is this was your first studio Ghibli film. Yeah. So this, yeah, completely. So, first question: What have you been doing with your life? Uh, yeah, and I don't, and this is strange because I've. Um, I've me- been meaning to watch some. I've got some recorded. I've got, I think, Totoro recorded and a couple of others. So I've been meaning to watch some and then just, just never got around to it. Okay, second question then. What what did you think of this? I thought it was just okay. Right. I, I wasn't in... I don't know whether it was this particular film. It definitely wasn't the animation or anything like that. Mm. 
And I watched the the English dubbed version. That was the one that I happened to record when um, Film 4 recently did a Studio, Studio Ghibli season. And I kind of wish I'd watched the subtitled version because yeah. I think I would have enjoyed it more, maybe. Right. Maybe okay. there's subtleties in the in the difference, in the way the expressions are in the language, possibly. I'm not mm. sure. And I, you know, I have nothing against foreign language films. I quite enjoy them. And I think mm. it only takes a few minutes normally to get into them and to yeah. Yeah. barely realise that you're reading the subtitles anymore. Yeah. So I kind of wish I'd watched that version. Yeah. But I didn't like this film enough for me to go, oh, well, I'll seek out that and watch it again. Yeah. Just to see what the differences were. Yeah. I mean, I like this. <clears throat> I, I'm blown away by it. It's certainly not one of the better Studio Ghibli films that I've seen. Um, there's others that I think that are, are, are a lot better than this, but I enjoyed it. And uh, like you say, I thought I thought the lead character Shizuku was an interesting character. I thought basing the film around her kind of kept you interested. She kept you sort of wanting to know what was you know what was coming next. And um, this this is pretty different to a lot of Studio Ghibli's. In yeah. the sense that this is a coming, like you said, it's a coming of age film. Yeah, kind of very much set in the in the real world. You know, if you watch, and you'll probably find this out when you watch other Studio Ghibli's, there's generally a lot of kind of you know mythology type uh, magic and and yeah, that and kind there, of stuff. <clears throat> there is a couple of flights of fancy in this film, which I did really like. Yeah, and the. I think what I, what interests me, and I and I like the first half of the film a lot more than I like the second half of the film. I really like the first half of the film, just the, the her, seeing her everyday life. So seeing the cultural differences, the way they um, she interacts with her school friends uh, and with her family, the way yeah. the family are living. You know, father's obviously working hard, mother's working hard too, but she's yeah. also trying to study and you know, get get on with uh, her master's degree and submit a thesis and stuff. And I, that that I find really interesting. Yeah. I, it just didn't feel like it, it kind of continued with that. Yeah, the scenes in, in the family home mm. where they're uh, either, you know, eating at the, the table or she's in her bedroom, which she shares. I thought they were really nice scenes. And one of the things that stands out in those is the kind of detail of the environment. And yeah. I thought that was... Um, and I think it's not just that, the, the animation, the detail in that, but it's also you know, the detail of the family unit yeah. and how they yeah. are with each other, how they react with each other, parents' relationship with a child, those kinds of things. I, yeah. thought that, I think it's really, really well done. Um, I mean, the film, in a sense, is a film about relationships. Yeah. You know, that's kind of a key theme, isn't it? Oh, definitely. And relationships with family. Uh, and then these sort of developing relationships within school life and, yeah, yeah. and her peers and those of similar yeah. age to her. I mean, maybe it's something, because I was reading about it a bit today, because I watched it um, a while ago now, so it's several weeks ago. And although it's written by... Miyazaki, who's a kind of Ghibli mainstay, you know. Yeah. This is, but this was the first Studio Ghibli film that was directed by someone else other than Miyazaki or Ta- Takahata. Mm. Takahata, sorry. Mm. So, them stepping away from their two 
big in, big influences, even though it's still written by yeah. the same, you know, one of their, their main guys. Even though you've got that link, the studio stepped away from their main directors and said, giving someone else a chance. Yeah. And I don't know about the other, the earlier films, whether what's kind of the source of those are based upon. Um, but this was also, you know, based upon a manga from the late 80s. Whether there's any kind of, there was a, a small shift away from that more spiritual fantasy kind of stuff because of just the source material, but also because of the director. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I don't know what the source material is for the early ones, mm. but maybe this was, you know, because when you think of manga, you tend to think of sort of, well, either the kind of, you know, very technological future, Yeah, yeah, kind of Akira stuff. the fantasy type stuff. Oh, definitely. Um, but this was, yeah, quite different to that. But with links, I mean, some of those familiar kind of Studio Ghibli themes in there as well. Yeah. Yeah, I spotted one little... I did, while I was watching that, I did spot one little um, Easter egg. Yeah. Which the, on the clock, the in the centre of the clock in the antique shop, there was a Porco Rosso right. symbol. And Porco Rosso's from 92. Yeah. So That's just a few years earlier. But then I was looking today to see if there were... Because I'd imagined there'd be, like, loads of them. Right. But what I could find, that there was, like, three... and. One of them was this Porco Rosso reference. Another was in the library. There's a book that refers to Totoro. Yeah. Not a picture, but just the, the name. Yeah. Um, from My Neighbour Totoro. And then another one, which I never would have got, even if I'd seen it, was um, about a witch on a broom, which refers to Kiki's Delivery Service. Ah, oh, right. Okay. So I didn't... So there's no way I would have spotted that. And yeah. I, would have, I would have noticed the book if I had I seen think, the book. But... If I remember, the witch on the broom <coughs> possibly is something hanging up in her bedroom, maybe. Right. She's in a bedroom. I possibly spotted that, yeah. Right. Um, but apparently there's also a, a point in the film where there's a, a billboard advertising the film itself. Oh, right. So, so no, they advertised I, the film within the film. I didn't I see that. No, I didn't see that. Um, and you mentioned the kind of the flights of fantasy. Um, we, we might talk in a minute about maybe uh, the Baron. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, but he actually is a main character in a film that comes yeah. later. Yeah. Cat Returns. Yeah, I saw that. So. And I think uh, of the fi- in, within the film, we'll come to the Baron, this this um, cat figurine that's mm. in the antique center in the antique shop, the character that is woven into it through his through this figurine, I think is brilliant. Yeah, and that was definitely you know my favorite parts of the film. Right, is the the flights of fancy in this were definitely my favorite parts. Yeah. So, in terms of sort of any of the themes of the film, because we've talked a little bit about relationships, which is obviously a key theme throughout. And this story sort of is, is kind of linked together through the main character, um, Shizuku, kind of meeting with school friends and then meeting with this, this Seiji, who's this, this boy she meets. Yeah. Uh, and kind of the, the sort of the chance that brings them together. Yeah. What, what, any other themes that kind of stand out? The only out? other thing that I was thinking about is how kind of westernised it was, not just because of the you know, the overdub voices, because mm. that's clearly going to bring something to it. Mm. But just 
the you know the the, the song you know they sing country roads a yeah. lot in this because they're putting together school you know for a school song just yeah. to, you know overlaying their own lyrics onto John Denver's Country Roads which is a great song but yeah. although interestingly at the beginning of the film when the song plays straight away I said oh that's the Olivia Newton John version oh, right. <laughs> which um, is the one they use at the start of the film. Which, being a big country music fan, I spotted, of course. But, yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> so, but we're using that song, and then the way their relationship is, the, the young, you know, the young girl and the boy, mm. isn't what I would think typically a Japanese relationship. Right. I don't know what that really is for me, but it no. seemed a lot more westernised than, than you'd expect. And I think there were just other little hints towards it, the way that Seiji, his, you know, what he wants to do with his life, his yeah. passion, yeah. Uh, isn't necessarily something that you would immediately associate with Japan and Japanese yeah. culture. Yeah. Within the film, Seiji moves away to Italy. Um, and so that brings it back to that kind of European, American kind of... Um, yeah. And I don't know, maybe it's also Studio Ghibli looking at how they can, you know, widen their right. viewership and their market, really. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know, I didn't pick up on that particularly as, uh, you know, things that maybe aren't traditionally kind of associated with, you know, growing up in, yeah, yeah, in Japan. Yeah. I think something that sort of stood out for me, I guess, is the idea of, because we talked about that sort of coming of age, but certainly there's a theme within this about, I guess, choices and responsibilities and um, the path we choose through life. Yeah. You know, because obviously Seiji has this dream that links into his music and and making violins. But actually for Shizuku, the main character, her, uh, initially she's, she's kind of portrayed as maybe not being grounded in sort of reality of you need to study, yeah. you need to work hard. You need to to you know make the right choices, and and is kind of portrayed as a bit of a maybe a fantasist, you know, with these kind of dreams of, of writing and and that I guess is one of the conflicts within the family home that that sort of keeps coming up. Definitely, and you know, following your dreams is definitely a part of the film. It's about you know yeah. doing what you what you want to do and would make you happy, you know, and her seeing Seiji doing what he wants to do, moving away, following his dream to be a master violin maker, to then inspires her to then decide to start to write, is a, is a big part of that whole growing up and coming mm. of age theme. Which, you know, is, is interesting. I just, this, this film just didn't grab me like the way I wanted it to grab me. Mm. Yeah, and um, I, maybe that's because it is a very, very simple tale in some respects yeah and i'm not averse to watching something that just sort of you know plods along nicely and slowly and i I still you know i watched the whole film i enjoyed it i wasn't bored or anything i just think that there could have been not necessarily kick or anything in it but just something a little bit more than the way it then unfolds because i think it starts out really strong yeah and then kind of Mm. towards the end yeah I know what you mean 
Okay, so of the characters in the film, should we talk about those? Yeah, so we've got um, um, Shizuku, who we talked about, and Seiji, the, the young um, lad who is a aspiring violin maker and that's why his dream is to move to Italy and and, and become a like a master violin mate, uh, maker and then Shizuku who's a huge reader wants to be a writer and stuff but then you've got the sort of more peripheral characters like Seiji's is it his grandfather who, who owns, owns the, the shop, shop yeah. so I quite like him yeah he's kind of I don't know, typically grandfatherless, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. you know, wise old man who, yeah. you know, tell them to follow their dreams and stuff like that. Yeah. He's obviously inspiring Seiji to do what he wants to do as opposed to necessarily going down a very academic route that you'd expect, you know, a, a, parent, a parental figure to do would be like yeah. definitely steering children for, to academic and success as opposed to, oh yeah, move to Italy, make violins, that would yeah. be great. So I liked him, um, and I liked his his story that sits around this cat figurine that's yeah. within the shop that's not for sale. So I think we need to talk about that a little bit. Okay. So there is a cat. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that now? Yeah, we can do. Okay, let's go for it. So a cat figurine that sits in the... In the shop, yeah, that is one half of a pair, and, um, and we don't we don't initially no we don't know, know this, that do we? But, we just... but we know that he's called the Baron, yeah, and he's quite a kind of uh, almost looks like an English gentleman, yeah. But so it's kind a of a, a human a humanoid figure, yeah, in the sense that it's stood upright, uh, but with a cap head, cat face, yeah, uh, tail, sort of. Top hat, cane, monocle. monocle, kind of suit type, yeah, tails and all that. So yeah, it, it's it's in the shop. And interestingly, um, there's kind of a suggestion that this cat is maybe more than just a figurine. Yeah, because there's a certain glint yeah. that catches off its and eye. I don't know if I sort of picked up on this during watching the film, but one of the things that... I, I read was that possibly it, it changes slightly from shot to shot. Oh, right. So it, it kind of maybe is, you know, one time we see it, it's holding its cane a particular way, and then the next time maybe it's sort of holding it slightly differently, or which kind of gives it a slight element of being more than just a... Yeah, uh, I didn't pick up on that. No, well, I didn't in at the time. Um, I'd be interested to see it again, actually. Yeah. For that kind of thing. And that would actually then link into the later film, The Cat Returns. Yeah. Um, so so he, so the, the Baron it then does become a more of a main character within the film because um, Shizuku bases her story upon the Baron and yeah. his kind of, and his travels. Yeah. And uh, and those were my those fantasy sequences yeah. where it's showing what she's writing later in the film, where I thought were really really good, and you know they gripped me and interested me, and and I thought well, and maybe that's why they made the cat returns because it's like well that's the story I want to see. Yeah, you know I liked this part of the story, the coming of age bit, but actually what I want to see is I want to see the story that she's trying to tell, and I don't think there was enough of that. Because um, no. it was quite fleeting, but yeah, because one of the themes in the film, of course, is that she wants to be a, a writer. Yeah, but, you know, she obviously reads a lot and she wants to write, and it kind of comes in and out of the story, possibly 
two or three times. Yeah, it does, yeah. But, but not much more than that. No. And then, of course, we find out a little bit about this character, the Baron. So, as you said, we find out that it's one half of a, a, a pair of figurines. Yeah. The other one being uh, the Baron's bride, I guess. The, yeah. The, sort of the partner to, to the Baron. And they were separated uh, many years back. Yeah. Which links into Shiro, the shop owner. Um, and Shiro obtained the the Baron in yeah, the war. Yeah. And then his the love of his life had the other half. Yeah. And then they were separated in the war and then they were never to... Never to get, never, and, and I think that part of the... Because I was expecting there to be a bit more of a conclusion to that kind of story. Right. There wasn't any. Right. There's no resolution of that. It's just, but then at the same time, it's not sweet, but it it's nice that the filmmakers don't feel like, oh well, we have to have a resolution to no. everything. We have to have the you know the Baron and the the shop owner reunited with whatever is. I think that's quite good. Yeah, and it gives us a little bit more of an insight into that character of of Shiro. It gives us a better yeah. understanding of who he is and. Maybe why he is the way he is. Um, there's a couple of other little kind of side characters, really, aren't there? There's um, Shizuku's friend, Yuko, and then this other boy character called Sugimura, who yeah, uh, who kind of Yuko... It's a little bit of a side story. It didn't really do anything to kind of, you know... It doesn't move, uh, anything, move along. anything along. No. But it's kind of a bit of a love triangle thing. Yuko likes Sugimura, Sugimura likes Shizuku, and... I guess it's kind of just gives us an insight into day to day teen angst and, and... and the other well the other character is is the uh, the cat the not the figurine cat the Baron but the cat ah, the, the real cat the real cat yeah so the the first time this this the see this sequence I really really liked was when Shizuku sees the cat on the train yeah and then she decides to follow it and this cat is basically trolling her. Which yeah. is just hilarious, yeah. and and it was it was genuinely quite heartwarming to watch, yeah. and and funny the way the cat is just kind of leading her on and just sort of you know walking along looks like his own owns the city kind of thing, yeah. But there's this one shot where he walks along a wall and then across a gate, and then basically starts teasing a dog, yeah. which is just hilarious. Yeah. And I thought it was really good. And I mean, this was still in the first half of the film, so I was still really fully on board with the, with the whole thing. And I yeah. thought, oh, well, if this, you know, even if not much happens, but this kind of detail continues, yeah. then I'm going to really like this film. But that's what I think it lacked in the second half, right. was the the little bits of everyday life yeah. that amuse you and, and sort of warm you to the film. Right. I think it kind of lost it a bit. Right, yeah. And, I, I mean, again, that idea... I mean, I, I'm not a Ghibli, you know, yeah, expert. Yeah. But what I've seen... I mean, th- this kind of scene with the cat, so she gets on the train and then she sees the cat kind of get onto the train and sit there and she's intrigued as to why. So when the cat gets off the train, she obviously starts to follow. And, as you said, it, it sort of kind of leads her a little bit of a merry dance, you know, and she's trying to keep up with it and follow it. But again, that's um, a little bit of a theme often with Ghibli films, is that kind of 
journeys into new places and, and sort of interesting and fantastical places just by following a kind of, you know, these sort of little little detours and little routes through the normal everyday world. Um, because this is, you know, she follows the cat and then this is where she finds the antique shop and she meets um, Shiro and, you know, the Baron and, and she gets to know a little bit then about Seiji and, and sort of meets him and the violins and stuff. So it's it's that kind of just making that decision to follow the cat that leads her into this this part of her life and the story. Yeah. And that's something that comes up in in Ghibli films, I think, quite regularly, that just by sort of taking a step or two or following a route just slightly out of the ordinary, we can become involved in interesting and magical things. Yeah, and no, I did. I liked it, that, that side of things. It reminded me of, like, when I first, you know, moved to Lancaster... We, you know, I would when I was a student, we used to walk all over the city, you know, looking at, you know, walking down this street, not knowing where it would go and and stuff like that. And just exploring a new place, I think, is really, and this takes it really well. Yeah. And kind of uses the cat as a a trigger for an exploration, which I think is really interesting. Like you say, then it leads on to the rest of the film. And that's why I like, really like the sequence. Yeah. Because it's very light-hearted, it's funny, but it, it's got a purpose. It's not just there for no reason. But I, I, I can't help coming back to it. I've thought about it a bit, and I think maybe that the film's just a little bit too long. I mean, it's good nearly two hours, mm. and you could probably take 20 minutes out without mm. having you know any, any negative effect on the film. Yeah. And just making it a little bit tighter, just to kind of give it a bit more of a I don't know there's there was just something about it that I just I just it, I was just like yeah it's very take it or leave it okay. but at the same time I would happily watch other Studio Ghibli films and just to kind of explore them more because the animation is so is so unique in comparison to what we would normally See yeah. animation, whether yeah. it's um, I mean, this is '95, so what Toy Story is '94, and so you, you know, so this was very much being hand drawn, yeah, when computer animation was starting to get on a roll, yeah. Um, because before Toy Story had got the advances, you know, Disney were making in Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and stuff like that using certain parts of their films were being done in computer yeah. animation. But this is, you know, a real classically hand-drawn, yeah. but also classically Japanese Studio Ghibli-looking film. Yeah. As I opposed think... to that kind of Disney-esque hand-drawn mm. animation. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there is a very, very clear difference between this and that kind of Disney, very Western animation style. I don't know whether you'd call it that kind of American animation style. Well, it is. I would say it was totally. I mean, it was, you know, it was created by Disney in the 30s and 40s. And, you know, then they just pushed that through for 50 years. You know, it's only then in the sort of mid-80s that, you know, Shudy Ghibli are starting to produce work yeah. and then you've got other animation houses sort of you know coming through from there and obviously the the American studios very much kind of push towards computer yeah. animation whereas you're still getting hand drawn or or whether they're computer animated you know computer animated but made to look hand drawn 
you know, this, from other 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 places around the world. Yeah, and this apparently was the first Ghibli film where they did use computers in oh, arts, right. but I guess maybe in but the it's same not way. No, 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 and I mean, I guess. I suppose if you think about like Beauty and the Beast, you know, the really noticeable use of computers is the the kind of swooping camera shots, yeah, with the boring, the, the boring dance, and and I I think that's what they used it for in one or two parts of this film. Yeah, you know, and it would be that. the the fantasy sequences, very likely. Yeah, and you know, it's it's to part of it is to save money and yeah, you know. oh yeah, but I I do like the. The hand-drawn animations, I think they have a certain texture that you don't get with a cleaner, crisper animation from yeah. the computer. Yeah. And I think that's really nice. And I like it here. I like the, you know, Disney earlier hand-drawn animations and, and stuff. And, and then even up, you know, stuff that's a lot more recent that probably is, you know, heavily relies on computer animation, but is also got its, you know, it's got one foot in in a hand-drawn kind of world, which and I think is really, really interesting. I, th- I mean, I think even, like, the Disney hand-drawn stuff before computers, this is kind of a much, I don't want to say rougher style, but it's a much more... It's not as clean and crisp and polished no. as, as that Disney sort of hand-drawn stuff. No, it isn't. So if you look at, like, the mid-70s, 80s Disney stuff, things like the Fox and the Hound and stuff, yeah. um, or even earlier Robin Hood and Bits and Pieces, yeah. you know, they are absolute, they're, they're so fluid and yeah. the animation is really, yeah. really clear and crisp, whereas this is, I would say, but then there's more there's more emphasis on, you know, getting the story right yeah. for, the, for this and yeah. to get the characters and to build believable worlds yeah. around there. And, you know, Whisper the Hearts, um, Tokyo is, is Tokyo is, you know, well, yeah. not right in the inner city stuff, but it, it's clearly, you know, based around real places and stuff, yeah. which you're not going to get in those Disney films so no. much. Okay, so uh, any other kind of interesting facts, figures, anything else? That um, sort of... Well, the only other thing that I, that I did like, you know, not the only other thing, the other thing I do like about this kind of film is that, is suitable for all ages. It is. Yeah. It isn't a film, an animation aimed at children. No. But it's also not solely aimed at adults either. If you no. think of some of the, you know, other animations that are for you know for an adult audience. And I thought that it was great, you know, having a universal kind of view of who my audience would be. I really like that. I think it's a good, you know, it's, it's, it's solid filmmaking. Just say, this is a story we want to tell. Yeah. And it isn't because we want to tell it because we want a seven-year-old to get excited about it. Yeah. But it's also not just solely for the, you know, the, the older generation. Do you think a seven-year-old would... I think they'd be bored. Do you? Yeah. I wouldn't show it to, um, to my youngest, who's eight, just her date. But I would... You know, in a few years' time, I'd be thinking, oh, yeah, that's a yeah. good, good film for that, you know, yeah. kind of thing. I mean, our youngest, who's about to turn eight, obviously she's watched some Studio Ghibli's, but this one I did think, I'm not sure whether it would hold her attention. I think there'd be bits of it she'd really like. I think she'd probably quite like the main character, Shizuku, but then I think there's bits of it where she'd kind of drift out of the story. And stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like you say, sort of a couple of years older than that, and... and 
But anybody that from that age up to an adult, I think, probably would, you know, yeah. would have enjoyed it. This made 1.85 billion yen. Yeah, I saw at that. At the box office, so. which isn't bad going. Yeah, I don't know how much No, I have no idea. Really is. No, no. But, um, but they did say it was a huge, um, it was a big hit. Yeah. And, you know, one of the reasons that we kind of picked this film, no, it happens to be on, and the, the Ghibli season was on at the time, for film four, but I'd also seen that one of the uh, film critic that I quite like called Robbie Collin, he earmarked this as one of his favourite Ghibli right. films. Right. That made me think, oh, actually, that's uh, you know, it'd be worthwhile a watch. Mm. And so, obviously, you know, did really well at the box office, and yeah. it was a, a big hit. Yeah. And it does, and like I said, but it would make it does make me think, oh, actually, I will watch other Ghibli films and check them out and, yeah. and go from there, really. Yeah. The Random Movie Men Podcast. A podcast by men about random movies. Um, do you want to do your six degrees of separation? I can do, yeah. So if I was doing six degrees of separation with this, yeah. basically Carrie Yule's voice is the balance. So that would probably be the only way I could go with it. Well, that is the only way I could go with it. Because I didn't... Because, well, I think last time we recorded, I was like... I I just said, there's no way I'd be able to do this. Yeah. And luckily, we did watch Stephen Sanger version. Yeah. Because then I recognised Harry (laughs) Yule's voice. Yeah. So I thought, right, well, that's my way in. So how do I get from Get Out, our last episode, to Carrie Yule's, basically? And the way I did it would be that... And I'm just going back on myself the way I got into Get Out last time. So okay. Stephen Root was in Get Out, but he's yeah. in Dodgeball. Ben Stiller is in Dodgeball yeah. and also in Tropic Thunder. Tom Cruise is in Tropic Thunder and in Top Gun. Meg Ryan is in Top Gun yeah. and When Harry Met Sally. Billy Crystal is in When Harry Met Sally right. and The Princess Bride. Right. And Carrie Yules is in The Princess Bride. Good work. And this. Is that Bang on Six? Yeah, it is. Very, Good. very pleased with that. Good. Uh, I'm sure there's a quicker way. Because there's so many people in The Princess Bride. Well, exactly, yeah. Um, and let's have a think here then. Catherine Keener would probably be like the, the person in Get Out who... Has she probably been in more stuff than maybe some of the other people in Get oh, Out? Oh, I would say so, yeah. She'd probably like the longest career out of everybody in that. So it would be kind of like what else was Catherine Keener in? Just completely off topic, which we sometimes occasionally do, Inigo Montoya. Yeah, Mandy Patinkin. Mandy Patinkin. I was in the Oxfam bookshop the other day in Preston, and I, they had a CD called The Mandy Patinkin Project. He's done a CD of music. I love that guy. I might have to buy it. I might have to go back and buy it. Yeah. yeah. What did I see Mandy Patinkin the other day? I saw him with something, and I yeah. was probably just then just talking about the Princess Bride a lot. Um, well, anyway, so there we go. We should um, maybe do. The, I know we've both seen the Princess Bride. But maybe we should do the Princess Bride <laughs> time. Um, just pretend we haven't. Pretend seen we it. haven't seen it. Yeah, a hundred times. Yeah, including at some earlier this year. <laughs> um, so the yeah that that was so that was my sister. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. That yeah. I think there is um, one um, possible. Little awuga a spoiler that we could do. Is there? Yeah, the the very the very ending okay. of the film. So right. we'll do a awuga. Right. Awuga. I might not actually put the awuga in at this point. 
Because right, okay. I normally do a little break, don't I? So yeah. Kind of. This is the. Yeah. It's so. So if you if you don't want to know the extreme ending of the film, then clear off now. Turn off. Right. But it's not that much of a spoiler. But I wasn't overly happy with the ending. Right. With the say Seiji and um, Shizuku. Shizuku, they basically agree to get married. Yeah. And they're fourteen. Yeah. Or whatever. Well. Yeah, and I was just I like, I was. I just thought it was a bit of a misstep yeah. in the sense of that they, Shizuku has followed her dream because of seeing Seiju follow his dream. Right. Seiju comes back from Italy. Yeah. And says, actually, I'm going to finish high school. Yeah. And then I'm going to follow my dream from that point onwards. Yeah. Shizuku says, oh well, I've I've shown that even though my first novel my first story yeah. may not be the greatest story ever written but yeah. i've shown it to somebody they read it and they said that they liked it yeah and so that's inspired me to continue on this path yeah shall we get married <laughs> yeah and that that kind of put me off a little bit because i was thinking well you know if you this film is largely aimed at a teenage audience of that mm. coming of age audience mm. Even I know we said it's, it's it's for anybody, but it is you know there is that kind of aim towards that yeah that point, yeah. and then you're saying that it's okay to agree to that that's a, that's appropriate make a plan and and I just wasn't I wasn't on board with that at all. I guess in in the grand scheme of animated films, fourteen year olds agreeing to get married is probably not the worst thing that's ever happened. No, but I do know what you mean. If they'd have kind of left it just as we've 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 forged this link, this bond, and we'll continue we've, our relationship to see what happens. We'll continue our relationship while also knuckling down at school and working hard to achieve our goals. Right, we are probably getting close to uh, yeah. I think we are getting things up, aren't yeah. we? I know that I liked it, but not all that much. And um, out of ten, maybe a six, possibly a five. Okay. I don't want to sit on the fence too much, you see, and so, yeah, and say five. Yeah, so I liked it probably a bit more than five. Okay, what yeah. about you? Probably a six and a half. Right, a tiny bit more. Yeah, it's weird though because there's there's bits of it that are a six, and there's bits of it that are a seven. Yeah, there's maybe even bits of it that are a little bit above a seven. Yeah, no, and, um, and I think so six yeah, and a half, I think you're right. something like that. But then no, I thought there were bits that were down in there. In the fours. In the fours. <laughs> that's that's what, was, what was scored down. So, right. You've already mentioned favourite scene. Yours was the, the kind of fantasy, dips into fantasy stuff. So it's the stuff with the Baron in the fantasy stuff, but then yeah. also the, the, the following, following the, cat. the cat. I really yeah. like that. What about yourself? Probably the bits at home, all the interactions with family and, and the discussions with family. Yeah. And all that I thought her relationship with her older sister was really interesting. It was. Yeah, and I think the the thing about the, that kind of life at home is that it was portrayed, you know, they're having these kind of interesting discussions and important discussions, but they're doing it whilst getting on with things like sorting out packed lunches for, for meals and cooking and laundry and stuff like that. Yeah. So it, it, it kind of grounded it as well. It did, and, you know, the her relationship with the sister and her sister, who is several years older, is... I think look seem to have left school but possibly studying at university or something. Yeah. Um, but then was saying, you know, you need to be doing more around the house. Yeah. And she was doing a lot more around the house to help her parents. Yeah. And I think that 
that was really interesting because you you know that sibling dynamic of the yeah. the older sibling who's an adult you know frowning upon the the younger sibling who you know who can't be expected to act like an adult because yeah. they're they're not they're, they're only fourteen no. so I no. did think that was interesting and I think it's a good that the film shows that you know actually you know these these kids are kids you know and you can't expect them to be adults either. Mm. There, I mean, there, there was a lot of there was a lot of positive in the film. I just felt if it was twenty minutes shorter, it probably would have grabbed me a lot more. Yeah, right. So we'll wrap this up then in yeah. terms of talking about uh, Whisper of the Heart. Mixed thoughts on this one. I liked it a little bit better than you did, but we both agreed that at its best, it's somewhere around the sort of six, seven out of ten mark. Yeah. Um, and, and occasional little bits that you kind of weren't as keen on. We're going to uh, do another one of these as soon as we can. Yeah, we've so... We've picked a film. We've picked a film, neither have seen. Um, and we're going to be watching and talking, discussing the new Netflix production called Apostle, which is directed by Gareth Evans. It's, um, it's just come onto Netflix uh, within the last couple of weeks. Well, that doesn't really mean anything. Yeah. Um, but it also has had a theatrical release, which is... This isn't the first Netflix production with theatrical release, I don't think, but it is one of the first that's getting that kind of dual thing going on. Yeah. Gareth um, Evans, I guess, best known for doing The the Raid. The Raid and The Raid 2. And The Raid 2, yeah. Which are, but, and if you've not seen those, you really should. They're just... Mad as a box of frogs, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they're absolutely brilliant. Um, the first one is astonishingly good. Funny thing, with The Raid, the first time I watched The Raid, I had to have a break because I was physically tired <laughs> from all the fighting. Yeah, and Obviously, I wasn't doing any fighting. Gareth Evans, not to be confused with Gareth Edwards, who Indeed. directed Godzilla. Godzilla. And Monsters. And Monsters. <laughs> um, <laughs> not that we would make that mistake. No, ever. never, ever. So, um, we'll get that watched. We'll get that watched and then we'll talk about that. So that's Apostle. And um, if you, we've got previous episodes that you'll be able to find um, on our WordPress page, which is uh, randommoviemen forward slash wordpress.com. Well remembered. And uh, you can also follow us on Facebook. Find yep. us on Facebook at Random Movie Men. Random Movie Men. Look for that and you'll find us. Yeah, find us on Twitter Obviously, at Random Movie Men. Because uh, it's taken us a little while to get together and record this episode just because of school holidays and all kinds of stuff going on. Uh, we've been probably a little bit quieter on um, yeah. Facebook and Twitter. But I also we'll... changed my phone, so I've got to find the password to the Twitter account. Excellent, good work. <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll obviously get active on there again. Yeah, so we'll do that. And um, there was... So you'll be able to find our previous episodes on um, SoundCloud where we, where we produce them. Um, however, there's only limited space that we can use on SoundCloud um, for free. So we've got an archive as well on podcasts.com, but all the links will be on WordPress for those. So if you want to go back and listen to the first episode, that will be available in the archive, but the previous three episodes will be always be available. Good, I'm just impressed that we've got an archive after four podcasts. Yeah. We have to. Excellent. <laughs> right. Well, uh, let's wrap things up then. It's been yep. a pleasure, as always. As always. Thank Looking you very forward much. to the next one. Yeah. And uh, well, we'll make it as soon as we can. Yeah. In the meantime, uh, I've been Steve French. And I've been Paul Whitehouse. And this has been the Random Movie Men podcast. <laughs>
Cheerio. Thank you very much.